You know, the, the technical challenges, you know, are, they're all solvable, even for people who weren't in the cloud already, weren't um, able to, uh, you know, access their material remotely. All of that stuff is solvable. Um, but what's really tough is, um, you know, having kids at home. Uh, mm -hmm. Your colleague Derek was saying that his productivity is down 30% and it's not because of a technology problem. It's because you've got a, you know, a kid that you care about and, you know, you're trying to keep them not just safe, but hopefully happy and moving forward developmentally. I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters podcast. On Daily Matters, we talk with legal professionals, industry leaders, and subject matter experts about the future of law. We explore where the legal industry is headed, how legal practice is changing, and what you can be doing to position yourself for success. Today, we're speaking to Greg McLawson, the founder and managing attorney of Sound Immigration and a prolific world traveler. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Good to see you again, Jack. It's great to see you too. Uh, so Greg, I'd like to start off just getting your your perspective. What What is on your mind most right now? <laughs> um, so here's what I would say. Um, it's not the practice of law. Um, down here in the States, uh, we've got 122 thousand people dead. Uh, we've got a cultural moment um, here in 2020, which for some unknowable reason has to be a moment of reckoning where we're deciding if black Americans uh, deserve to be safe in their bodies. Right. Um, I've got medically vulnerable family members who are, you know, one stupid trip away from the grocery store away from, you know, potentially the end of their lives. I've got a five-year-old um, who hasn't seen his friends in four months. And so, you know, the time I spend in the day um, writing briefs is like, that's nothing. <laughs> that's, right. that's blissful escapism. You know, I and, and your other uh, attorney listeners, you know, we know how to practice law. So the time spent doing that is the easiest you know most most blissful part of existence right. so. it's your your escape from the yeah. grim realities that are outside yeah I, I i even feel guilty you know the time that i'm spending uh doing motion practice in federal court uh, while my wife is out there trying to keep the two kids from you know grabbing knives and <laughs> right right their fingers off you know that it feels guilty to be spending that time so and greg tell us a bit more about the, uh your context right now where, where are you situated what else is going on and uh maybe while you're answering that question just tell us a little bit about, more about your your practice and, and how you typically operate so i live in seattle uh, sorry in bellevue washington which is across lake washington from seattle and the uh seattle and the capitol hill autonomous zone <laughs> these days <laughs> right um I, I run a decentralized immigration practice and have for about a decade now and we have a couple different digital storefronts. Um, we do family-based immigration. And then my personal practice focuses on a very niche type of federal litigation to enforce a type of financial contract. Um, but and, we, sorry, go ahead, Greg. We, we've been decentralized um, well before COVID. So honestly, when um, the shutdown happened here in Washington State, it was really a couple weeks after that before I even really thought, God, is there anything we should be doing differently? Because everything was set up to be doing that anyway. Right. And, and Greg, you're, you're someone who I think has, you know, been embracing and benefiting from 
the the cloud for for years and 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 now obviously covid-19 has has foisted so many law firms uh into the cloud whether they wanted to be there or not it's kind of the only way you can operate effectively right now but but your comment is is interesting you you actually found that you you really didn't have to change anything about the way you were operating when when covid hit yeah, so the very first legal conference I ever went to out in uh, Ocean Shores in Washington State <clears throat> was right after I had wrapped up a judicial clerkship. And I was so broke, um, I kept, <laughs> I slept in a tent <laughs> on, <laughs> in a park <laughs> close to the uh, um, conference and ran into a couple sales guys from this goofy startup called Clio uh, up in BC. Um, and the rest is history. So yeah, we've been on the you know, relatively ground floor of that since the beginning. And, and tell us a little bit more about how you, you operated pre-COVID-19, you individually at least, Greg, I, I, I know you would find ways to run your law firm from around the world. You would, you would travel for, in some cases, months at a time to some pretty far-flung places and, and not miss a beat as it related to running your law practice. Yeah, so there's some flotsam up on the wall here. Uh, this is stuff from Bhutan, where we've been a, a couple times over the past few years. I was supposed to be in the Faroe Islands, uh, which some listeners might not have heard of, but it's uh, roughly between uh, Denmark and Iceland, a little bit to the north. Um, but yeah, uh, we've from my from a functional operational standpoint, it doesn't really make a difference to me. Uh, where I am, with the exception of having to set conference calls at obnoxious times. Uh, well, let's shift to your, your your practice area for a few moments and some of the events that are, are happening on the ground. It's been a busy, busy <laughs> week uh, as it relates to, to immigration. Last week, there was a historic decision from the Supreme Court. I, I think what some regarded as a pretty surprising decision from from some of the more conservative judges on the, the deferred action for childhood arrivals policy. Uh, just yesterday, we had some news around H-1B visas and, and so on. Can, can you tell us specifically about DACA, what that, that decision means to, to you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there has been so much happening um, that when Derek was talking to me about today's podcast, I thought, okay, I really need to stop and just make sure I haven't missed something so major that I'm going to be embarrassed to have you know, had it fall beside uh, under my attention. So, so DACA is something that has been um, on the forefront of immigration policy since before I practiced immigration law. And for especially your um, listeners who aren't here in the States, the question is basically this, um, you know, we have well over a million youth who came to the United States as minor children were brought by their parents. And what should we do with them? Um, they lack immigration status. Should we have them um, give them some form of pathway either to citizenship or to another legal status? Um, because right prior to DACA, um, they had no way to work, no way to go to school because they couldn't get financial aid. So President Obama had put into effect um, a program called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival, which didn't technically give them a legal status, but basically said, hey, we promise not to deport you. And since you're here and you're not going anywhere, we'll give you a temporary uh, way to work legally. The Trump administration abruptly shut that down and shut it down so abruptly and so capriciously that the Supreme Court in a decision that caught me and my colleagues completely by surprise 
um, said no, that you, that you did that in such a mindless way that it's illegal. So now DACA is back into effect. We have our 700 plus thousand people who are on the program uh, now able to continue and the additional people who aren't already enrolled can apply. So that's a, a wild cultural moment to have <laughs> in an otherwise uh, time when immigration policy is being ratcheted down very, very aggressively by the administration. And, and on the ground, what impacts is that decision going to have on your clients and your, your practice as a whole, Greg? It, it's a good question. Um, when DACA came around the first time, we believe that most but not all people who qualified did apply for it. So those folks were already there. And those who will be most impacted will be those who didn't apply the first time around. And we've seen some of those folks come out of the shadows um, and some folks who are already in DACA contacting us to talk about um, additional legal strategies they might have based on marriages to US citizens. Um, but what, what makes this not perhaps quite as exciting as it might otherwise be is that the administration can of course reverse courses now or, or double down on their position to begin with and go back and ax DACA, do away with DACA through the appropriate procedural channels under the Administrative uh, Procedures Act, uh, which they doubtlessly will try to do, although it's not clear they'll be able to do that before the November election. So it really, it really comes down to what happens in November, whether these folks have a continued uh, way to stay in status. And, and, and beyond November, is there a way to talk about what some of the longer term implications of the Supreme Court decision will, will be? Or, or will that really hinge on what happens with the election? It, it hinges in November. If, if the current administration stays here, DACA will be gone sooner or later. Um, if the administration leaves, DACA will remain a thing um, and potentially be replaced by legislation that, that codifies this, the same policy long term. So these folks, these folks who spent their whole lives just up in legal jeopardy are still back to being in legal jeopardy. That's what the right, is. right. So Greg, let's let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the impacts of COVID nineteen. One of the you know we we launched this podcast wanting to talk to attorneys that were directly impacted by COVID nineteen and and talk about how they pivoted their practices in response to COVID nineteen. And, and you're actually the first conversation we've had. Uh, in a few weeks that that is doing a bit of a pulse check in terms of of how you're adapting and what this new normal looks like for you. Uh, you answered part of this question already just in terms of from a technology standpoint, you didn't have to make any huge pivots, but can you in, in a more broad way answer the question, how has your practice been impacted by COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, I think the the answer is, is really personal. Um, it's you know it's personal to me, and I observe it in my colleagues as well. That you know the the technical challenges you know are, they're all solvable. Even for people who weren't in the cloud already, weren't um, able to uh, you know access their material remotely. All of that stuff is solvable. Um, but what's really tough is um, you know having kids at home. Uh, mm -hmm. Your colleague Derek was saying that his productivity is down thirty percent, and it's not because of a technology problem. It's because you've got a, you know, a kid that you care about, and you know you're trying to keep them not just safe, but 
hopefully happy and moving forward developmentally. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's all of those, and it, it's all of those things that are the most important to me and the most important to other attorneys, you know, in their, in their personal lives. That's, that's what's tough is trying to make sure that you're doing well by your family, making sure that you're, you know, in, in this, this situation in the United States, trying to contribute to the uh, political and cultural moment we're in, you know, to be present for that. And then to try to go off and practice law, you know, that's, right. that's, that's the tough part. And as you mentioned earlier, going off and practicing law can feel like an escape relative to everything else that, that the backdrop of the headlines today is creating for us. Honest to God, I feel guilty doing it. I feel guilty, you know, with the time that I spend with my nose and my laptop. So how have your clients been impacted? by COVID-19 and even new business for you. It, it feels like so much around immigration, I, I would expect has ground to a halt or something close to a halt uh, over the course of COVID-19. We see lots of border closures, the, even the uh, largest unprotected land border uh, in the world, which is the Canada-US border that separates you and I just by a couple hundred miles uh, has been closed for close to three months now. Uh, and they just announced it will remain closed until uh, mid-July at the, the earliest. Uh, what's the impact been to your, your clients and, and to your, your new business as well? Uh, so let me give the Mr. Rogers answer and then I'll give the lawyer answer. <laughs> I mean, so the, the Mr. Rogers answer is I observe the same type of personal stress in my clients um, that I'm experiencing. Right. And so um, we'll get really angry emails or really angst driven emails over just nothing, <laughs> you know, right. a, just right. a total non-event, you know, we'll, and, and so I've tried to be a little Mr. Rogers about responding to uh, the feelings that, that people are displaying rather than the total non-legal <laughs> concern. Yeah. That have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a, a PhD client who I absolutely love to death in Nebraska, who was just uh, really, really, really concerned about this filing we were making. And, and was it going to be fine? Was it going to be fine? I just finally had to grab him by the shoulders and say, look, you are fine. This, this, you're, you're experiencing a lot of stress with your kids, you know, but your legal situation is fine. Um, so that's the Mr. Rogers answer. Um, from a business, uh, we're actually uh, busier than we were pre-COVID. Wow. And, and that's probably partially because we were... Um, set up to provide services that other firms weren't able to provide. Um, but then you also have situations where folks are trapped here in the United States. So for example, um, I can think of a Thai client who's um, over in the Midwest who can't go back to Thailand because the kingdom had travel restrictions put into place. Mm -hmm. And so she was planning to do a marriage-based visa in Thailand um, to return here to the States, but now she's stuck. So, right. we're, so we're processing her case um, stateside. And, and there are a lot of folks in that situation. So um, yeah, we're, we're busy right now. We really are. Your, your Mr. Rogers answer, <laughs> although it was, it was joking, I, I, I loved it though, because I, I think it highlights how, you know, some, some empathy for the situation your clients are in is, is, is so important. Uh, everyone is on this, in this heightened emotional state and the, the smallest issues can tip over into 
an explosion of, of emotions. And I think just appreciating how tightly wound people are right now. And as, as, a, as a lawyer and, and this hugely impactful uh, individual in so many people's lives, that being that calming force is, is I think actually a really important uh, message and obviously a very deliberate mindset that you're approaching your interactions with. And, you know, we, we have it relatively easy in that regard. I would think um, family law attorneys should really be dialing up that counselor mentality yeah. because you're, you're having people making really impactful life decisions at a time when you really should not be making right. <laughs> big life decisions. Yes, certainly sub suboptimal conditions yes. to, uh, to make those big life decisions. And b beyond your practice, uh, can you talk about just some of the broader impacts uh, on immigration law uh, that, that COVID-19 has, has had? And you, you wrote a great blog post and, and we'll, we'll make sure a link to that's in the, in the show notes for anyone that wants to read up on it. Uh, but you rounded up what you described as a, a buffet of immigration issues that have emerged as a result of COVID-19. Can, can you walk us through what some of those issues are? Yeah, and I, I'm cognizant of not wanting to make this uh, a political discussion, which is really tough because immigration is a political football here south of uh, the border. Um, <laughs> so I'll try to choose my words carefully here. Um, I mean, any way you look at it, uh, the immigration, ha the, the administration has greatly ratcheted down on immigration um, during the crisis. Yeah. So what we saw most recently, just yesterday, was a total 100% almost, a total ban on temporary uh, visas uh, for workers in the US. So. I don't know if this might resonate to you, Jack, as somebody who runs a technology company, but here in the States, um, I'm just a few miles away from Google and Microsoft, and they can now effectively no longer secure any uh, foreign workers for their workforce. Yeah. Which is insane. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's insane. We're hugely we in demand and hard to find roles in these in these companies as well holy toledo we've got a knowledge-based economy here in the seattle area and as a country in large measure that can now no longer secure um knowledge workers yeah um and well, on we, we some just in response to that greg we sometimes uh, jokingly refer to uh, vancouver as the the h1b holding pen essentially for uh the u.s we have a huge number of of u.s tech companies that have satellite offices in Vancouver uh, and, and Canada more broadly, where, where these temporary, not temporary workers, but the H-1B uh, certified folks, um, while they're waiting for their visa to come through, will, will work in, in Vancouver. And for many, what was meant to be a temporary situation has turned into a, a permanent one. And it's, it's actually, oddly enough, turned into be a bit of a boon for Canada's tech sector because all of these H-1B uh, workers that can't get into the U.S. are, are putting down roots in, in Canada. And these are enormously talented folks that are the, the engine of the economy of the future. You know, and as you pointed out, it's a knowledge economy and um, they, they help, help local workers create a really compelling future. And it's oddly enough become this this almost competitive advantage for, you know, for Canada as, as the U S has become 
even more restrictive uh, on on H-1B visas. I am well aware. And, you know, to the extent that's that a race car is driving to a Vancouver, you know, we just hit the nitros on that and right. gave you guys a massive infusion of additional really well-paying uh, jobs, you know, and everything that comes along with that, all of that money that those families are going to be spending and the contributions they're going to be making, it's going to be for y'all. So you're welcome. Enjoy. Thank you. <laughs> um, and and be, beyond H-1B, uh, what are some of the other issues in this, in this buffet of immigration issues you think are worth touching on? I mean, if everything is stopped in terms of international um, mobility right now. So folks who are here in the United States, to some measure, can pursue legal avenues. But if you're outside of the states, um, the U.S. Department of State, which handles our visa issuance at consulates abroad, it's just closed. You're just, you're not, you're not moving anywhere. And, you know, there are very, very limited exceptions for emergency situations, but, you know, effectively things are shut down. And that's, it's very unclear when that's going to thaw because, you know, when I talk to our clients, I treat any forecasts by the Department of State or anybody else as an absolute fiction right now because the reality is that it's just going to turn on the situation on the ground, um, both here in the United States and whatever the forum country is. And those are just um, unknown unknowns. You know, we don't, we don't know what, is we don't know what's going to happen here in the States and we don't know what's going to happen at any given country. So, you know, when the consulate in Islamabad is going to be back to normal is, is just not knowable right now. Looking at the, both yourself and, and immigration lawyers that as a whole, Greg, how, what are some of the more innovative ways that you've seen uh, the immigration lawyers pivot to the new realities that COVID-19 presents? Well, I mean, there have been some really um, compelling forms of advocacy just to pitch in for people who are most negatively impacted. So just one example of that would be attorneys who are filing habeas corpus lawsuits to challenge unsafe detention practices by folks who are not criminals and being held on administrative charges in really crowded facilities and, you know, facing a life or death crisis. Um, attorneys have been challenging those detentions with mixed results, but they have, they have gotten people out of situations that could have cost them their lives. So, you know, that's not a moneymaker, but it's a compelling uh, thing to see for sure. Absolutely. Um, I, I get the sense though, that, you know, there, there are a lot of practices that are really hurting right now. Um, it's, you know, I think lawyers have pretty thick skin and they're not generally ones to, to cry for help, but I think a lot of people are, are really hurting out there and haven't found a way to adapt. Um, Greg, I'm also curious, how do you see COVID-19 having a longer term impact on, on immigration? Do you think this will, we're obviously seeing a lot of short term impacts as, as a result of, uh, the current administration, do you think it's mainly a function of the administration or do you see COVID-19 really driving a permanent shift in policymakers as it relates to immigration? My best guess is that it catalyzes the discussion. Um, and rather than putting it, um, pushing it in a particular 
direction will just kind of um, harden the already existing divisions um, that exist in politics here in the United States. So I think the the hardliners um, who see immigration as a detriment to the U.S. will will ju- are just doubling down on that position, and those who think that our entire economy really deeply depends on it are going to stand by that position. So it's just one more thing. And there are a lot of them um, that are really pushing us in a polarizing direction this year. Right. And it was already a polarizing <laughs> topic. So we're just seeing it, that that spectrum get wider. Yeah. The, the inverted bell curve just kind of pushes yeah. up. All right. Well, let, let's shift gears and, and talk a little bit about the client experience to conclude our discussion, Greg. The uh, You are our very first guest uh, on our very first episode of Clio's first ever podcast, uh, The Matters Podcast. And in that, in that very first episode of Matters, you discussed how your firm prioritized client experience. Um, and you know, that's a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart as well. And I'm, I'm curious, how has your perspective on what the client experience looks like and what being a, a client centered law firm looks like in light of the COVID-19 crisis? I mean, I, I, I will never treat this moment as a opportunity to, to celebrate something. Um, but I think it's fair to observe that, a lot of uh, my colleagues think that what we do here is something, you know, a little bit crazy to think that people are willing to deal with um, an attorney in a, in a digital environment that why would you ever want to meet with an attorney online if you can meet with them in person? Well, guess what? Now it's the only option. So um, I was already of the view that people, you know, I was betting my practice on the view that people were willing and in fact wanted to to do that. but now that we're in an environment where there's no other option, um, it just, it normalizes what we did in a way that I think long-term uh, will change people's expectations about how it's comfortable and um, helpful to do business. So my, my guess is that when we go back to normal, whenever in the world that is, that a lot of the folks who were forced into dealing with an attorney on Zoom will now say, well, why would I ever want to drive across town to do something that I can do in my pajamas in the living room? Yeah. And in fact, we're, we're seeing some early signs of that in the, the data that we just published this week at Clio, the, the COVID-19 briefing that, that outlines some of the consumer research that we've done on this topic supports exactly what you just said, Greg, which is consumers are number one, more, more facile than ever when it comes to using video conferencing solutions and, and Zoom in particular, uh, and that they actually prefer uh, a Zoom meeting over a phone call or over a, uh, an in-person meeting. And, and to your point, when you compare the convenience of a Zoom call and all the benefits that I think consumers thought they were looking for in an in-person meeting, they, they get you know, probably 95% of that out of the Zoom call. Uh, with all of the convenience of a phone call in terms of not having to commute, not having to dress up, not having to uh, put on pants, all of those things are are actually re- real benefits when it comes to accessibility for a lot of folks. Yeah. Um, can, can you also, you know, m- maybe speak to how you're thinking about the the way that COVID-19 might impact 
the industry in terms of this more broad-based adoption of remote work? You, you talked a little bit about shifting client expectations, but in some of the conversations I've had with, uh, with attorneys that have been forced into this distributed work from home environment, they've been surprised at how well it's worked, not only for them, but across their firm and the, the new tools that are available uh, to, to run a distributed law office or distributed business of any kind are, are better than they've ever been. And do you think this will be a lasting change for, for law firms that, that embrace this completely new world? Or do you think we'll see a pivot, the pendulum swing right back to expensive downtown office space and, and a more traditional work environment? Yeah, I mean, I, this is not a cynical view, but I've learned never to underestimate the momentum of the way things have always been done in law. <clears throat> you know, it is it is a battleship that turns awfully, awfully slow in my experience. So, I bet I bet it's right that we see some adoption of distributed work and maybe some, you know backsliding on the expensive downtown office space. But if th this will not be a sea change is my expectation that things will return more or less to the way they were. And maybe, you know, maybe there's in larger firms, some adoption of, you know, a little bit more flexibility in terms of work at home policy, but man, <laughs> things change so slowly in this industry. I, I would be surprised if we see big, big changes. So, and Greg, if you're, if you're looking at the, Change in, in legal maybe as, as a more traditional technology diffusion curve where there's you know, early adopters and you know, eventually the early majority and the, the late majority that'll kind of join in on the party. If, if you're one of the law firms that it isn't necessarily an early adopter as, as you were of, of cloud technologies and distributed work and so on, but you're in that early majority that wants to lean into this and maybe rethink the way that you're delivering client experience and, and so on. What, what are some of the opportunities you see for, for those firms and, and where would you send them if you're giving them a, a recommendation of, uh, you know, tools, technologies, uh, and resources to, to kind of lean into the, the type of practice that you've managed to build over the last few years? So as somebody who did a little bit of mountaineering, um, you know, I, I tend to look at that as a functional problem. You know, I would break it down, break things down into systems, you know, so just like you have your, your water system when you're climbing and your, you know, your rope system, you know, think about your firm in terms of systems. And, and if, if the goal is to have things distributed, you know, break, break things into functional parts and solve for that. Um, in ways that don't require them to be done in the way they've always been done. And that, and that includes, you know, practice area and practice subspecialty. So um, I, I was concerned kind of early in the crisis that the supply might just drop out of our traditional work. Um, mm -hmm. th thankfully it didn't. Um, so I, I was thinking about minor practice area pivots we could make to doing uh, work, for example, in, litigation areas that involve um, attorney provisions against the government. So for example, could we switch to doing a lot of lawsuits under the Freedom of Information Act, um, which has an attorney fee provision if we prevail? Could we switch to doing mandamus actions to compel um, action in immigration cases that are paused because if we 
could do that, maybe we could recover fees under the Equal Access to Justice Act. You know, so that would be an example of practice area, minor practice area pivots that might, you know, save a firm if if your consumer base is dropped out. All right, Greg. Well, let's let's wrap up on uh, an optimistic uh, note. Uh, you're known for being a prolific traveler. You've you've gone over the all over the world uh, managing your firm remotely. Uh, when this is all over uh, and and behind us, where's the first place you're buying a ticket to? Uh, so I already have a ticket to the Faroe Islands, and we'll put that back into place as soon as we can. But um, as soon as we get done with this call, I am hopping in my car with my wife to drive over to Fisherman's uh, Terminal in Seattle to see if we can buy a boat to get out of Dodge. <laughs> so um, never, I, I'm a, a oh, human-powered watercraft guy. I never thought I would buy a power boat, but if it's the only way to get out of here with the family, then that's what we're going to do. Well, like, like in Vancouver here, you've got some great exploring on the water uh, open to you out of, uh, out of Seattle there. That we do. Uh, Greg, we've, we've had a pretty far ranging uh, discussion. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, if there's one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from this episode, what would that be? I, I got to go back to uh, Mr. Rogers on that, um, you know, and, and just encourage all of us, and I'm talking to myself here, you know, to, to be kind to ourselves and to be kind to others. Um, it's a really tough time. And we got a lot of this ahead of us, you know, we're, we're not near the end and um, every, everyone's hurting, uh, your listeners are hurting. So, you know, let's try to, as best we can, muster whatever energy we have to be kind. That's a, a great note to, to end on. And thanks so much for joining us, Greg, some super useful uh, perspectives over the course of our discussion. And, uh, Good luck on your boat buying excursion. <laughs> Thanks for swirl problems. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider for supporting this podcast. 